Don't be throwing <laughs> curveballs at me like that. <laughs> I'm definitely going to ask you in the middle of it. Right, I can have a bit of a chat about it, but like, don't throw the debate at Dylan over there. I don't want to be mentioning Franz Beckenbauer and Johan Cruyff at him and he would have his dick in his hand. Hey, it won't be in his hand. Too bad, no? Of course, Dylan and Joe here with me as always, and we have Eddie as a special guest with us this week, our transition year intern. <laughs> um, I suppose to start off, football, not a huge amount going on, we're still in the midst of our uh, mid-season break. Yeah, mid-season break was last week, so it was only, there was supposed to be four Premier League games, but with the... The big storm, Kira, that happened. Man City and West Ham got postponed, so nothing really of note happened. It's a, it's very rare you see Premier League game being postponed nowadays. Yeah, I'd imagine it's more to do with getting fans to the stadium, like access to the stadium rather than the ground itself, because, I mean, in terms of, like, undersoil heating and everything, those stadiums can cater for anything. Not the prima donna football players that didn't want to go out with a bit of wind and rain, no? I, I would most certainly hope not, or else I'd have to go on a long, expletive-filled rant, and that would be a shame. Special jerseys that are yeah. resistant. Um, I suppose just the, the couple of bits that stood out of me this week. Uh, in Hallow, that's after signing for United, they're not letting him train with United yet. No, he's training. He's training on his own due to the the fear of the coronavirus. Yeah, I think it is just a precaution because they're all gone on a training camp break. They gone to Spain or somewhere for one of those warm weather training camps. And um, yeah, I guess they just want to be a hundred percent certain that he's clear of the virus, rather than. It's not. It's not something we discussed last week. They haven't sent him up to Liverpool. No, I would imagine not. I, I'd, I'd say it's just a precaution. Oh, you have to be, especially when they're going to a training camp abroad, where they're all going to be in very close quarters with each other. And that happened. That happened over Christmas. Luke Shaw or someone. Yeah, I think you're right. It's happened a few times as well where like squads have just been ravaged by stuff like that, I remember. I'm, I'm presuming here, I, I don't officially know, but like they have their own full teams of physios and surgeons and you know all these different specialists. Do they have doctors on site? Oh, I would imagine so, yeah. I'd imagine at least one or two doctors floating around the place. Not a lot of expense spared at clubs that size. Yeah, I know when you go to American football, you watch all these American football shows and it's like all the doctors are prescribing this and prescribing that. Oh, yeah. Did have, I wonder did they have their own pharmacist or their own chemist on site? I mean, there's a, there's a question for another time. But We're probably not short of just about any facility at these clubs. Yeah. Like it's a whole world in there. Yeah, maybe. Um, another thing that stood out to me that only happened maybe in the last half hour: Guardiola has claimed that he could be sacked if they don't re- be Real Madrid in Champions League. 
how likely do you think that is? Um, I saw some of the interview. He was very, very open about it. He was asked if he was the best manager in the world as well. And he said, I might have been for a while. He was like, but if I didn't have such good teams, I wouldn't have been as successful. So I think he was, he was very candid in it. And he very spoke very, very highly of his, um, say, his rivals, the likes of Klopp and Mourinho. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think he is constantly aware that at a club like City, if he doesn't... I mean, they've obviously failed in the league this year. We kind of know that already. If they don't progress in the Champions League, his job is on the line. I don't think he'll get sacked, but it's... It's good to see a manager taking it as personally as he has. He's taken it as a personal slight on himself that they're that far behind in the league. Yeah, but I think he also knows that the levels they reached the last couple of years are just unsustainable. Oh, it's going to be huge. No, but I don't think they'll lose to Real Madrid. Yeah. I think right now they're a stronger team. They've got more to play for. Real Madrid are caught up in a title race as well. Do City win the Champions League this year? Based on the fact that they've nothing else to fight for on the other front? Potentially, but we've also seen that work against teams like the likes of PSG and Bayern Munich. And you're going to see Liverpool in that situation this season where they've wrapped up the league so early that you're only playing league games at maybe 70% intensity and it's hard to pick it up then for the latter stages of the Champions League. I don't think so either, but that's only because they'll have records to chase. Whereas you'll see teams when they don't have something in the league to play for, it's very hard to raise your game back up to that level needed for knockout Champions League football. Yeah. Um, moving on to Scotland, I suppose we, we haven't discussed Scotland Long last. Yeah, I think that was it. It was Rangers' first season back in the proper title race, and they probably had the edge there up until three, four weeks ago. But I think Celtic just have the experience. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think Rangers will be very fortunate to pull it back. Celtic, I can't see them dropping 10 points between now and the end of the season. But it's, it's that competitive thing. Like Celtic have been less competitive in Europe because they haven't had a Rangers to go against in Scotland. Yeah, and that goes back to the other thing that would, with the teams that have wrapped up their league too early. Like it's, You just can't retain that competitive edge when you yeah. don't have close rivals. It's as simple as that. Uh, closer to home, the electricity league starts uh, this weekend. Um, they've come out the, the league have come out and they've, they've said that all applicants have been awarded their UEFA licences for this season um, now the one thing I suppose we're, we're based here in Limerick but Limerick FC have not gotten a licence so it looked like they hadn't even applied for one um, I know they had um, there's been the ructions with Limerick FC and Limerick United and all this naming rights and Treaty Treaty City FC or whatever it's going to be so um, looks like no place for Limerick this year. Um, the electricity league is just one of those things, I suppose. Niall Quinn is now the go-to man there, isn't he? He's kind of taken it as a personal project to bring it back to the heights of the 70s and 80s when Irish teams were actually able to compete at European level. Yeah, it's going to be very, very difficult. I mean, it, there's such an established system now of players when they get to that age of like 15 to 18 19 when they start to stand out for their club team or whether it is an electricity league team 
they're getting picked off by England teams. I mean, even before that, I mean, 14, 15, 16, all of the best of the players that would possibly be in the RTC League, they're all gone to England at that stage. Yeah, that's it. So, like I say, it's such an established system now where there's scouting networks here for English clubs and they just pick off the best of the talent. And it's obviously more lucrative for the players as well to go and play football in England rather than... Like, the ceiling in Ireland is the Electricity League, whereas in England, Premier League, Champions League, that's yeah. what you grow up watching. It's what everyone wants to play in. I suppose the one the one thing for, for Electricity teams is that if a player goes, they're going to get paid for that player. I suppose it was a conversation we were having about AFL players a few weeks back where, like, any GA player that's going to the AFL, there's no remuneration for a remuneration for the for the um for the clubs you know so at least that's one thing that they can say that they'll probably get a couple of hundred grand out of them and be able to do more oh 100 percent. there's a lot of um irish teams now have again they're used to the system they develop the players and they'll just work off the profits that they make off them when english clubs come in and sign them so that's how they operate and i say it's just a very established system at this point it's going to be tough to break Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how it affects English sport across the board, really, in terms of imports and everything. We've spoken about this a couple of times. I, I think Britain are adamant they're going to stay in the, to talk about a business for a minute, but they're going to stay in this, the, the union and the trade union and all that kind of stuff. So I don't think they've even looked at the fact that it's a possibility that they might not, not be, and this work permit issue and all that kind of stuff. Do we go back to an age where the Irish-English agreement goes back into place or is that even possible I suppose it's another question we might have to get someone on to, to talk about that properly but um, I think there's already talks that they're reducing the say what you need to have to qualify for the work permits okay. the criteria that's the word um, that if you're playing in any of the top leagues you would automatically qualify for one um, any of the top level national leagues so that could be Ireland it could be any of the Eastern Bloc countries, like you could be playing in the Slovakian league, okay. and you well, would I mean, qualify. Then, now again, this is only provisional talks, but any league that has a qualifying spot for the Champions League entitles you to play. Pretty much, yeah. Or if you're playing international football of any kind, that it would they just lower the criteria so that anyone that would be looked at by those English clubs would probably qualify. Okay. Yeah, that's, I think that's making life easy for themselves. Um, if you look back, I remember when I first started watching football, there was a, a certain amount of foreign players There, there is talk that they're going to increase the number of homegrown players that you are required to have in your squad, but I don't think that's going to be anything major. Yeah. Um, I suppose the, the one standout story of the week, well, two standout stories, and it's, it's going to lead us into our, our main discussion topic today, is um, the issue with referees. So Bournemouth have asked the league to review, to review Jonathan Moss's comments to some of their players uh, last weekend in their game. So... Apparently Jonathan Moss was, was making snarky remarks to the players about, you know, you're still in a relegation zone, um, you're having a nightmare, you know, you, you, like it's it's one of those days your team is terrible, you know, little comments. Like are we okay with this? I mean, to me, referees get such a pasting that I think it's okay for them to be a little bit sarcastic back at times. I think it kinda has to be. Like Let's, let's look at that from a, a respect issue as well. I mean, should should soccer players be booked every time they go and start getting around the referee? And like, How long would it take to, to fix that issue? I think 
Yeah, I think there are some contexts where that could be fine. I mean, if the players are giving the referee a load of stick, fine, give it back, 100%. It depends what was said beforehand. He might have been slightly out of line, but... I'd say going on the level of abuse that you can see referees being given. Obviously, there's no audio. You can see some of the words that are being said by players to referees. If I was in the referee's shoes, I'd probably say a lot worse back. I think it's this snowflake generation. Yeah, I think it's fine. These Bournemouth players, given the amount of abuse that players give referees and Bournemouth players come out complaining that what the refs said were in relegation zone you guys are yeah like oh yeah that's it didn't it wasn't true like like their job is to get out of the relegation yeah. zone and they should be more focused on that than the referee but given given the the times we're living in like you could see the the PFA putting in a or the FA Premier League putting in a an inquiry into it and seeing what happened and maybe giving them an old rap on the on the knuckles and going here you shouldn't be doing that Yeah, that's the thing. Exactly, and the level of abuse that those referees get, and the scrutiny they're under, and the pressure. I'd, I'd have no real problem with Jonathan Moss. Like, I'm sure something that was probably said along the lines like "ref sort yourself out," and he just told him sort yourselves out. Something like that. Yeah. Jonathan Moss is still up there as one of those top tier referees. He's doing big. Yeah, he's done it for a long time as well. Uh, let's let's for comparison's sake let's compare Jonathan Moss to uh, the referee in the minor leagues in, in Italy headbutting a goalkeeper um, last weekend because uh, I think the story goes he sent the goalkeeper off and the goalkeeper got right up in his face yeah the goalkeeper was sent off during the game and um, he went into the referee's changing room afterwards to try and get an explanation and uh, they kind of faced off in the corridor and I assume Words were exchanged and it escalated and the referee head-butted the goalkeeper. He's been banned for a year it's from really all football. No, it's from, the, it's from a regional league game yeah. in Italy. You see, like, what, what, what kind of a head-butt is it? You could have just brushed heads with it. Yeah, you see it in football matches where it's forehead to forehead and someone collapses to the ground and all of a sudden it's a head-butt. kind of have this image of the Zidane Matarazzi. Yeah, but to the face instead of the chest. That's what I'd like it to be, just from an anarchist point of view. Yeah. Still, if he's been banned yeah, for a he's full year. Been for a year, I think he did something wrong. Although it's also worth saying, if he actually properly headbutted a lad into the face, probably be police involved. Yeah, you'd imagine broken nose or something. It says it down there at the bottom. Oh, I'm just at the bottom of the article. Yeah. The ban was fully warranted, according to the police chief. Yeah. <laughs> so I I reckon like this day and age there has to be in the tunnel there has to be cameras of some sort something definitely picked it up uh, yeah it yeah like there was obviously something said that we're not finding out about you would imagine the goalkeeper having been sent off and going to the referee for an explanation he wasn't exactly yeah being the most polite and calm I've been in similar situations like I've gotten heated with referees growing up as well so I understand growing up you get heated, you get heated with referees on a Friday night in the league we play yeah and again if I, if I give that abuse to a referee he'll give it back so oh god so well, it's a bit of give and take let's look at a broader scale like referees in general I mean you go from sport to sport to sport like in rugby referees are given the utmost respect what the referee says is final you don't you get people specifically the captain's the only person that'll speak to the referee mm. he goes and asks him a question 
please, sir, thank you, sir. And he walks back. Can I have time to talk to players? Go talk to your players. Like the referees are known for some more so than others. Um, are known for giving a few smart remarks, but you know. Yeah, we've all seen the clips of Nigel Owens. Yeah, Nigel Owens in particular, not to the players, but about the game in general. Mm. It's like this isn't soccer. You're in there. You're 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 playing in the wrong sport. You know, and um, like you compare that to soccer, where every decision a referee makes, there's players around him. Yeah, like surrounding him, getting up in his face. Like, how do you how do you root that out? How do you change that attitude towards referees in football? I think like I think rugby is the example. Like in rugby, the referee is treated with the proper respect. The players don't speak out of turn. Like football should be looking to rugby for an example there. Um, miking up the referee is a big one. Now whether you can do that in the Premier League, you're going to have to just take a hard line approach to it. If you ref up the mic in a Premier League and someone starts swearing, send them off or give them a retrospective ban. It starts at the the underage system really. Like yeah, you grow up. Respect the referee, it's instilled in you. Whereas in the soccer, it's not. I know they might tell you respect the referee, but there's not a whole pile done about it. They tell you respect the referee, and then you go out and there's coaches at under eights games screaming at the referee and everything. And it's yeah, and it's a cultural thing you grow up in. Like I grew up playing soccer, and it was like that. Like I'd, I'd have been screaming at referees on the other side, right? At rugby matches, and I've grown up watching it, playing it, doing it, whatever. The parents are telling you to respect the referee. You're respecting the referee but the parents on the sideline are roaring at the referee at the same time. So that's really not an excuse. Like, I, I think a lot of it is down to kids watching television, seeing players getting away with it at a higher level. And going, well, if they can get away with it, I can get away with it. And they start doing it at a younger age. Like They're very impressionable at 8, 9, 10, and they're watching. Everyone can watch Premier League football now. Yeah. So like, if the likes of, oh, for argument's sake, Jordan Henderson, which... For the most part, he doesn't, but he's a captain like for Liverpool. Gets up in the referee's face. You can see the mouth actions when he's getting frustrated. Oh yeah, you know, like someone playing underage for Pipe Rovers is going to do the same thing. Yeah, and I think we've seen. I think Mourinho's Chelsea when he was there the first time were very bad for surrounding the referee. You had eight or ten players are within five yards of the referee, all trying to put in their two cents worth, and. I think like that you see young players going to watch that and think oh this is okay I can do this well, how, do you, how do you change it so that's, that's well, like I say if you mic up the ref and if any player is picked up swearing at them give them a retrospective two game ban you have to take a hard line approach and there's going to be some high profile bans but that's the only way teams will learn and players will force themselves to adapt to it okay so that's, that's the language issue but say a referee makes a decision gives a penalty and you've got six Chelsea players around him all getting up his face roaring at him how do you change that attitude whereby players just accept the decision that's being made because again you don't change the referee's opinion I think again a hard line approach so the refer- the captain is allowed to go to the referee and either seek yeah. an explanation or tell him why he thinks it's not a penalty yeah. or whatever anyone else comes up yellow card they do it again second yellow card Watch it. what are the chances of something like that happening it's fairly slim it's the same as the pushing in the box you need the, the only way it's going to be eradicated is with a hard line approach and you're going to have that lasted like three weeks didn't it's, yeah, and they've done it a few times. So you're going to have a case where you're going to have a lot of yellow and red cards for a few weeks, yeah. and it'll start to I'm, fade I'm out okay then. Players will force themselves to learn. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I think every 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 comment above a certain level at a referee needs to be like every bad language because there's so many microphones and so like everyone can lip read nowadays, and especially lip read those comments. Like it needs to be picked up, and even if it's retrospective after the game, one you got a, not a yellow card at the time. 
but retrospectively they get a one match ban or whatever. Yeah. Fines are no good for these players. They have too much money. So it has yeah, to be no, a, it has to be a footballing whatever. punishment. Yeah, you know. But I was watching a game in the Australian League. I can't remember the name of the referee or even who was playing, but he was mic'd up. And like that, anytime he made a decision, he went to the player and he was in communication with his linesman and the fourth yeah. official as well. He went to the player and explained what was going on or why something wasn't a foul or anything like that. And the players all knew he was mic'd up and there was no abuse for the referee. I don't think it would be that instantaneous in the Premier League because there's a lot more intensity and pressure. But Yeah, I think... I think <laughs> it's definitely a route they should look into going down. There may have to be a delay on the miking up to when they start using it on television. <laughs> Potentially. Those, those first few weeks, like you're still going to have the players abusing it. Yeah, it's one of those things. I mean, you look across all the sports, like GA to me now, um, it's becoming a little bit too much like soccer in that everyone is questioning everything and yeah. when I was growing up it wasn't you just like you asked the question but you knew the referees like that was like referee's decision is fine get back into your yeah. case that's what you were always told but now and take it a, a step further I think the diving and the roaring and shouting and the play acting and looking for you know looking for a punishment for the other player is coming into the GA a lot more which to me sickens me that yeah, again, it's just kind of it, it happened in soccer a few years ago now, and it's just starting to spread a little bit further into GA. Do you think the, it, the job of a referee is getting tougher within the GA? They're definitely under more scrutiny because of the amount of, again, social media, TV, you know, everyone is watching and everyone is questioning every decision that the referee makes. It's got to be tougher. Is there a, an argument to be made about bringing in a second referee? you could try two referees because Hurdle is just so fast have a, pretty much a referee for each half of the field the just because impossible absolutely impossible I know, I know the question and that came up at uh, Central Council this year so the question is going to be over two referees and their different refereeing styles yeah. so if you put a referee on one end of the pitch that's kind of uh, we'll let that go and see what happens and you put a referee on the other side of the pitch that's pulling for everything then it's going to be unfair on whichever team is attacking which end which means you know it's but then it'll switch around for the other half it's the same for both teams that way yeah. it's an argument worth listening to because it is refs, no refs are going to the same no matter what no but if you've got refs that are mic'd up as well like in in the moment there's a foul say it's in the middle and one ref is like right I think that's a foul and the other one's like no I can see this happened it's going to say okay play on ideal that's an ideal scenario but again like you look at and, and two there's a temporary referee that's known for letting everything go um, referees at, at a higher level and then you've got a Westmead referee which is known for pulling everything so you put the two of them on a pitch together right and we won't name any names you put them on a pitch together and you're looking at so Tip are playing not Tip it won't be Tip Limerick are playing Kilkenny mm. Kilkenny are attacking into that goal they're getting a free for everything and then second half there's not as many frees because of one reason or another so it's not exactly fair but the referees are the same for each half you know like uh, yeah I don't know it's, it's difficult 
the flow of the game can't be allowed for. You can't legislate for that, whether there's going to be more fouls in one half of the game or the other. I wonder how they dealt with it in AFL. Because AFL has two referees. Is one the main decision maker, is it? I don't know. And when you look at look at basketball, basketball's on and basketball has three officials on the pitch. Yeah. Like like they kind of go in a in a swing motion. So like they they come back around the court as it's happening. Maybe three's the way to have it. <laughs> Can you imagine having three referees for GA match? Well it is quite hard. We've seen that there at the weekend with Tyrone and Kerry and just the incident with David Clifford. Mm. Was, uh, yeah. Just pulled to the ground. He didn't even try to defend himself and got a second enough hard and Especially on days like that where you just don't know what's going on, the weather is terrible. And but like that, especially in GAA, the pitch is so large and the game is so end-to-end that you can't expect one man to keep up with everything without assistance. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I mean, like they're already in contact, like all the referees and linesmen are mic'd up together, mm. whether it's like a matter of just putting in another referee on that. Maybe the linesmen need to have a better, have more to say, communicate more about decisions that they see happen. Maybe. Are the umpires? The umpires aren't mic'd up. The umpires up as well. Okay. The referees are all on that same. So thing. any goal mouth situation, should you have two umpires there in each goal? So. Yeah. The issue with umpires is they're often not tuned into what's going on in front of them. Well, they're not trained. They're friends and family members of the referee. Yeah, yeah who have a white coat. Yeah, they've been given a white coat. Yeah. No, and they're going around for years, and we know, like, we've grown up. They're biased. Like, if they think they can win, maybe not at the highest level. Probably not, but. Like if that if that ball is close, like, and they didn't like something that happened ten minutes before, they can yeah. either wide or over the bar depending. Yeah. Like I, I hate saying it, but that that stuff happens. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Like even when I was playing a bit of like club hurling football underage, like it was whatever old lad was nearby with the ability to wear a white coat, and that that was all that was required. The other thing is you have to bear in mind is GA is an amateur sport relative to that. Yeah, that's it. So the margin of error is going to be higher. It's not like soccer. Bar and that seems to be causing quite the controversy this year. Just a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You go, you go to like, is it a European thing? Now, soccer is different, right? Soccer is worldwide. But you look at American sports, basketball. We take baseball out of the reckoning because baseball referees get an awful time. Uh, basketball, American football, like decision is final. No one argues with it. Just get on with the game. Um, coaches that are ejected for games for coming out of the dugout and getting right up in baseball managers but, but it's it seems to be like oh we enjoy this it's part of the game players shut up but the coach comes in and gets thrown out of the game for arguing a call or whatever it is um, so are, are we think because of it being another side of the world does that make a difference like football is football it's it's stand, it's a standalone thing it's it's worldwide that one but yeah like look, look at look at UFC let's take UFC for example I mean UFC, they're respected. There's no real argument with them when a decision is made, but they get ridiculed for not making a decision faster. Um, I think the judging system is being questioned now in the UFC as well. Yeah, there's a lot, not so much during the match, but after the fights, there'll always be, everyone will always scrutinise the, the ref more so. And then, especially with the John Jones and the Rays fight after just finishing. There's a lot of uh, emphasis on the judging and how the cards are done. There's two judges scored uh, 
Dominic to win three to two, I believe, and the third one scored Jones four to one. There's a big, big difference in the round. It's at the same time I know it's a lot of pressure on people, but there is they're going to be scrutinised. UFC is a lot bigger than it used to be. It's getting huge scrutiny from everyone, so everyone thinks they have a say on it as well. Even like anyone walk into the room and say that's wrong. He's gotten that decision wrong, and it could be judges judging for years. I see, I see Dominic Cruz and Joe Rogan having a, a discussion about it and whether it, the judging system for USC should be changed. But yeah, Joe Rogan has a big say on it. He wasn't a fan the last night. No, right. uh, the, one, the one that stands out to me is like Herb Dean is always getting abuse in the USC for his referee decisions. And either he stops it too quick or he doesn't stop it quick enough. And before the McGregor-Cerrone fight, um, he was, there, there were people going, oh, I hope, I hope uh, Herb Dean doesn't stop the fight too quick, blah, 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 blah. And he didn't, and he probably let it go too long because he was being ridiculed for it. So it's a, it's a different kind of thing as well. Yeah, there's a very there's a very small margin in there where you should stop the fight between when a player is able to defend himself and you just need to give him a minute to get back in the game. Yeah. And it's gone too far, and someone is getting seriously hurt. Yeah. Obviously, it's on the referee's conscience if that man does get seriously hurt. So yeah, it's his it's his prerogative really. You can't argue too much. It's him who's going to have to let someone save someone from serious injury or not so but it's it's one of those ones that you can't go back on either once mm-hmm. you stop the fight the fight's over yeah because otherwise you're giving the person that you stop the fight a chance to recover and it, god knows what will happen after that is there, is there any other sporting referees that kind of stand out to you guys like it was the, the judging uh, I don't know if any of you have seen uh, Mick Conlon was on uh, with Tommy Gerlick the other night right and he spoke about how his coaches were told two or three days before the fight that Conlon wasn't going to win it because he had some backhanders had already been paid off and uh, Conlon he said he had no idea to laugh at the fight and his coaches kept it from mm-hmm. him but he had a feeling something was up because the night before his fight his father was saying you can knock this out <laughs> <laughs> that, that was his way of telling him without telling him yeah, yeah, you're yeah. not going to win because you know, in amateur boxing, you're not going to have to knock it out, you're going to have to land, land oh, yeah. scores. Land scores yeah. Yeah. So, it's that would be completely different. Yeah. So, yeah, he was saying like how uh, Paddy Barnes was in the crowd watching it on TV and he was like, they're scoring you down. Like, he was winning the round, but they were scoring him as losing. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to see that. There's never really been an investigation into that, though, has there? I mean, have the judges and all that kind of stuff, have the IABA been investigated for? what everyone complained about like Katie Taylor complained about it it wasn't just Irish boxers but everyone was complaining about the judging at that Olympics I think those judges were taken off for the rest of the Olympics but I don't know what anything beyond that again it seems to me like boxing has another serious issue that way but it seems to me like they were taken out they they weren't allowed to judge again but it was all swept under the carpet there was no repercussions so the underlying factors are still there probably because of Conlon's reaction as well throwing the fingers up in the air but yeah. he didn't help any matters didn't. at all but, uh, and look, look at it now look at the look at the height that he gave that guy a couple of weeks back you know, absolutely so. he's, had, he's gone on to have a, a brilliant career now so yeah, so, um, yeah that, that's like I don't know you look at look at is there any other sport that really that really stands out as having a respect issue when it comes to referees I don't think so I think we're mainly looking at, I think at soccer so- and GAA soccer and yeah GAA now they're definitely the worst too I wouldn't say hurling. Hurling, they kind of seem to accept it more. The football, maybe that's because it's slower. 
I, again, I, I was just about to say that maybe it's because hurling happens too fast yeah. that everyone's so busy running around after yeah. the Whereas football, you know that probably the first free hit that's out the field is either going to be kicked backwards or a shot. So you have a chance. I don't know. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. I'd, I'd like to see what's going to happen with the GA. Um, Central County will probably have a big say in it. And it may be one of those ones brought in for the league next year. Second referee and, and see what happens. Yeah, we're fond of making rule changes. Yeah, just like that, you know, so. It'll also be interesting to see how the Premier League respond to the allegations against Jonathan Moss, whether they're just going to turn around and be like, look, he wasn't too far out of line, or if they're going to actually punish him. Because if they punish him, it sets a, a very bad precedent against the referees. Yeah, well, let's hope they don't overreact. I hope so. I hope they pretty much just ignore it and yeah, move on. maybe release a statement. Something vague. Moving on, next uh, next subject is our GAA um, roundup. No hurling last weekend. Um, in football, I suppose the <laughs> the performance of the week was Dublin's second half performance against Monaghan. Nine points down with at half time. Uh, seven points down going into injury time, and managed to find a draw out of it. How they managed to find a draw, I'll never know. I was watching. I only seen the second half now. Monaghan played seriously well. Their defending was unbelievable. Uh, winning the ball and attacking was fantastic. I don't know if they threw away that. It's it's Dublin being Dublin. Dublin are a classic part of like Monaghan. Monaghan showed on on Saturday night that they have what it takes. Like I, I think they'll win Ulster after that performance alone. Like I don't think there's anyone up there. Like looking at Tyrone beating Kerry, it was more down to like sheer bullying to me. Yeah. And Monaghan won't be bullied against the likes of Tyrone. They like Dublin probably have too much football for Monaghan, but Monaghan have a bit of everything that kind of makes them stand out a little bit from anyone else up top. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, Monaghan. I'd say they will. They'll regret uh, that one. They'll see that as dropping the points. Yeah, they, yeah. I've seen some of the players coming off after the game, and they seemed a little bit upset. And in fairness to them, there was a couple of players, you know, shook hands with the referee, and you could see it clearly on it. And going back to our other conversation walked away just shaking my head going like how did he pay so much extra injury time because it was six minutes given he played nine yeah which gets Dublin a chance to score that extra point he was right to though there was a lot of uh, delays within extra time as well but we've seen Monaghan Monaghan had a, a lad in the Sinbin and they took maybe five or six minutes out of the game through injury uh, at the start of that, that second half to try and get your man back onto the field so yeah Oh, uh, that's, that's probably another topic we discussed about the same yeah. teams, teams delay and play just so they can get yeah. your man back onto the field yeah, so. cause it's, now on the, unless you change it to a rugby thing where you incorporate a stop clock as you're going along yeah. now, I think that's the natural solution to it but that's how the ladies is played isn't it uh, yeah it's, yeah. A, it's a running down of a clock rather than running up and it's stopped every time yeah. so I think that's probably another one. I haven't ever actually seen that on a central council list, but that might be one to like because GA injury time is going up and up and up. Like you're looking at six, seven, eight, nine minutes in a lot of games now. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's the one to look at. Like a game is like the second half of the game is taking forty five to fifty minutes now. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. So absolutely. No, oh, sure, look, with the stop clock, it will as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, but, um, it might reduce it slightly because the time that players will be wasting when they're trying to run down the clock there's no point now so they won't bother well, yeah, there was definitely five or six minutes in my opinion lost there in the 
minutes. Like, like you said, the sin bin now is a five minute. It's a five minute sin bin. Yeah. But if there's an injury, the five minutes can run down. Yeah. And you're back on. Whereas if you if you run a stop clock like they do in rugby, the sin bin is still going to be five minutes of actual play. So it might actually speed up the game a bit. Yeah, exactly. Because you won't have players playing. Oh, it's ten minutes. Sorry. Ten minutes you won't have players exaggerating those injuries yeah. or faking them entirely. Oh yeah, should we know ourselves? Like, trying to run down the clock in, in extra time, like you know, for yeah. points up. Oh yeah. Go down and waste the time. That, yeah, it's, it's, it's one that will probably like. I know it hasn't been mentioned so far, but again, it's the first year of the proper Zimbin. So if the Zimbin is going to work, I think that's a change. Yeah, it's probably happen. just an oversight, really, yeah. when you're implementing it. They just need to sort that out. Yeah, I wonder can they have a an, an emergency central council meeting to change it for championship because it could ruin championship. Whatever about league, you you don't mind seeing it in the league, but if it comes down to a championship game and like you have a Monaghan, let, let's go Monaghan beating Dublin, you have a Monaghan beating Dublin, and they have a chance, and like you want to see the football play, but Monaghan spent six or seven minutes wasting time, you know, and Dublin don't win because of that, you know, it's, it's yeah. maybe I don't know, it's a, it's a different story. Um, Galway beat Donegal, Mayo beat Mead, uh, nothing else really standing out. Like everyone. Everyone in, in Division 1 and Division 2, everyone has a chance. The only team that doesn't really is probably Mead. They're the only team without a win in the top two divisions. Looking at Division 3 and Division 4, Cork are unbeaten and Limerick are unbeaten, all on six points. Um, I suppose the surprise package of the league so far is probably Longford unbeaten in Division 3. Like, I can't remember Longford winning a championship game in the last 10 years. Um, so it seems to be one of those things where maybe they've come good. Don't know. Um, a couple of games uh, didn't happen last weekend Sligo were off because of the weather um, probably going to be played this weekend no, there's no official league games this weekend so you might have those replayed um, that's if Star D doesn't get in the way at all <laughs> <laughs> I don't trust Dini um, no football this week as we said back to hurling as well big game of the weekend is Limerick Water at the top of the table clash um for, for ourselves being tip men here, Galway and Tipperary. Tipperary have a must-win game up in Salt Hill um, against Galway. Um, and the other one, I suppose, is, is Wexford and Kilkenny. Wexford having the better at Kilkenny for the last couple of games. So Kilkenny will be looking to, to change that. Kilkenny at the top of the table, Wexford on two points, um, just in behind them. Yeah, they should be uh, three three great games. Please God, if the weather is right, they should be uh, three fantastic yeah. games. Like you said, if Storm Dooney doesn't uh, lose it again. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Especially there, Tip making the trip to Galway, that should be a really interesting one from Tipperary point of view. Yeah, Limerick and Waterford to me is, a, is an interesting one. Limerick have like two games, two wins. Waterford just haven't played the same quality of, of opponent, but two games and two wins as well. You'd still be expecting Limerick to win that easy enough. Uh, I, I, Waterford wouldn't be a shock there to me. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but uh, you'd like to see Waterford be competitive there. Yeah, uh, in other GA news, uh, UCC won the Fitzgibbon Cup. I suppose retaining their title. The, the one, the one news headline I've seen about this that kind of stands out to me is UCC manager referred to uh, Shane Conway as the Messi of hurling. Stupid analogy. Messi of hurling. If Messi played harder than Kerry, I suppose. Shane is is Kerry senior hurler I don't think any of us would ever have heard of him outside of Fitzgibbon Cup I hadn't heard of him before today Um, you know it's it's one of these things if you're thinking of Messi of Hurling 
you're probably looking at again maybe a stupid analogy but if you're looking at that Completely. you're probably looking at a tip young store or a kick any young store you know you don't you don't often see it coming from from, from a carry order you know yeah. um, having said that he was spectacular in their win um, and getting them through semi final and the final so yeah, no, no. Oh, I, no disrespect to the young I'm sure he's an outstanding hurler, but uh, I just think calling anyone the messy of hurling is just a bit, Ronaldo, a bit hairbrained. That's all I'd say. Cut this conversation before I have to swear at someone. <laughs> who's the uh, who's the TJ Reid of soccer? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't make any freaking sense, does it? <laughs> Pointless analogy. Um, moving on to rugby. Uh, Another six nations weekend just passed us. <laughs> um, Ireland win again, beating Wales, bonus point victory. Um, all, yeah. all week, I was just listening to report after report of all writing Ireland off. Oh, they might win if they're lucky, you know. Like they were cast apart. They just, you know, oh, brilliant. Yeah, we said it here really last good. week. Uh, if Ireland could get beyond the game line, they'd. Uh, get a result and by God they got across the gay line a number of things yeah, I mean like Wales after a big win we did we did say as well that Wales you know had a big win over Italy but they weren't really tested whereas like Ireland were battle hardened after their game against Scotland yeah that was it Wales came into it and like we said they learned nothing from the game over Italy so they were nearly they weren't really warmed into the tournament yet you know there's enough of people taking, taking stuff away from Ireland I'm, I'm not going to do it I'm actually like I, I'm giving them a fair chance of actually winning a Six Nations title, especially seeing England versus Scotland on Sunday, um, seeing Fra- or sorry on Saturday, seeing France struggle for a lot of it against Italy. Italy had an awful yeah, very possession. surprising. Uh, had an awful possession, didn't do enough with it, um, and if they had done the right things and made the right call at the right time, I think it's just down to experience as well. Like at one stage, they were pummeling France and took a penalty in front of the goal instead of going to the corner when and missed the penalty. Yeah, that was the problem. And, and, that you know, little things like that where a Sergio Parisa may have you know made a different call and just have that that head, that more experienced head. Um, it shows great ambition, though. To be fair to him. Yeah, yeah. And it just from from our point of view, from an Irish point of view, it shows that France are beatable as well. So if it came down to a last game where France were unbeaten and Ireland were unbeaten, and you were you were going to France to win a Six Nations. You could be quite it's doable it's know. doable I mean if it, like you say if Italy can get at them as much as they did and credit to Italy as well we gave them a lot of stick there on our Six Nations special but um, yeah yeah, they played really well and on another day some slightly better decision making could have been a tighter game it might actually be Yeah, that means if you can beat France on the last day, then, yeah. So, like, that Wales win was just huge for their season. Um, Any win gets the triple crown as well. Yeah. Which is handy to have with two games to play. Um, I hear a lot of negative talk about Ireland, and it's like, this is the exact same team, bar one or two maybe players, and the exact same squad that destroyed the whole world in 2018 had a bad 2019 went to the World Cup you don't automatically become a bad team overnight no so like I think 
asking them to change their style, change this, change that. Why? The style they're playing, even though they're becoming a little bit more expansive under Andy Farrell, the style they're playing has given them every victory that they've had in 2018. I just don't think, I think they were maybe just over overcooked for the World Cup. I think it was down to mental stuff more than their, their general rugby playing ability. But yeah, who knows? Who knows? We could be sitting here in a month's time discussing a, a Grand Slam victory with a Poss- bit of luck. Possibly. They, they played very well. Like say, Conway had serious game. CJ Sander as well. Sander was outstanding, really, wasn't he? He was brilliant. No pun intended. Sorry about that one. Genuinely. <laughs> it's again, look, we're talking about Munster players. Like Conway was brilliant. Stander has two men in the match performances. Yet Munster are out of the Heineken Cup. South Africa and two of the Munster play Southern Kings at home down in Irish Independent Park and Leinster play uh, the Cheetahs in the RDS um, I think anyone really cares about these couple of rounds of games in the Pro 14 today everyone's kind of not in the middle of Six Nations still concentrating on on Six Nations so it's one of those things you're kind of hoping that the players go back get some game time don't get injured and come back fit and ready to go for the English yeah game. that's the main thing if they can get minutes under their belt without getting injured it's a major plus if you lose a couple of half big players to injury it looks like a major blunder letting them play doesn't it moving on to our, our, our second major topic I'll bow down to the superior knowledge of, uh, of, of others sitting around this table but Messi versus Ronaldo yeah. The age old topic. Yeah, it's one we said we'd uh, we'd try and hash out here and finalise it once and for all, which definitely well, won't happen. But um, obviously they've because we're born in this era, right? Everyone talks about who's better, who's the best ever, Messi versus Ronaldo. Joe, first thought, who whose side are you on? Uh between the two of them, Messi, hundred percent. I think it's close. I'll just I'll always prefer Messi. I think. Now I've obviously I've gone through a lot of numbers here which will justify my decision that Messi is better but I think in terms of enjoying watching them I'll always enjoy watching Messi play more than Ronaldo. I think there might be a slight element of my utter and complete hatred of Man United that started me off against Ronaldo but I think I'll always prefer watching Messi. Dylan I think is going to take the opposite stance to me on this oh, one. I just want to say right so like Messi played probably arguably the best ever when I used to watch that Barcelona team, it wasn't Messi that I was watching. It was Iniesta, you know, oh, world class players around him. I agree. You'd Samuel Eto'o, you'd Henri for a while, you'd Ibrahimovic for a year. Yeah. I often found watching Messi to be quite lazy. Obviously, he'd have that touch of magic about him as well. You'd think he's not going to be modern in the next scene. He's after dribbling past five players. And yeah. But often times when I was watching that Barcelona side, it wasn't him that I was watching, it was those other stars. Whereas when you're watching Ronaldo, when I it's Ronaldo who you're watching, you know he's gonna do something. Brilliant. But I yeah, I'd nearly 
I like I would agree with your point to an extent, but I'd nearly use it against Ronaldo in that when you're watching a team that has Ronaldo in it, it's the Ronaldo show. Messi will do that work without the headlines and without necessarily going for glory. He's more likely to play a pass rather than Ronaldo shooting 35 yards because it's the Ronaldo show. It's all about Ronaldo. I don't think Messi has that. I think that could be a thing where he grew up playing alongside Xavi and Iniesta and when they came to the first team, he was just so used to playing with them that there was never really that instinct. Whereas Ronaldo was very much kind of self-motivated. He's very, very driven like individually from that point. I think that kind of drove him to seek out individual records rather than team ones. Yeah. I've heard of ways as well because I'm a United fan. But like, when Ronaldo was on the scene at United, every young lad in the country was trying to do step-overs. Fully because Ronaldo was doing step-overs. Yeah, but that was it. It was Ronaldo. It was all about Ronaldo. Whereas Messi was kind of going about his business more quietly in, in Barcelona at the time. He was... Now, in terms of his performances were outstanding. I mean, he scored a hat-trick in El Clasico at 18. As a moderator, I'm going to ask a question. And tell me if I'm wrong or right or what your, what your stance is on it. Does the fact that Messi spent his entire career at Barcelona, while Ronaldo has done it in England, he's done it in Spain, he's done it in Italy, like, is that going to, in 10 years' time, when people are having this conversation, who was better? Will that come against Messi? It could work for or against him because some people will say, oh, Ronaldo's proven himself in different countries and other will say, oh, Messi was loyal and stayed in one place. Now, a lot of rumours Messi's going to move in the summer, but we won't really. We work on the assumption that he spends his whole career at Barcelona. As a GA person, I, I love to see loyalty. Like, yeah. My, my favourite player uh, was Ryan Giggs growing up. He spent his whole career at United. Like, Paul Scholes. Oh, yeah, like I'd be the same with like Gerard Carragher, yeah, but... Brilliant. Well, I think it, it definitely would stand to Ronaldo, the fact that he's done it in England, Spain and Italy. But I don't think anyone can turn around and say that if Messi wasn't in any of those leagues during his career that he wouldn't have performed. He would have made the league suit him. They said that about David Silva when he came as well, and Juan Mata. He has the footballing brain, the ability, the speed. What's the driving force? So for Messi, what's the driving force beside, behind staying at Barcelona and for Ronaldo what's the driving force between I'm leaving United I'm leaving Real Madrid what's, what's the driving force behind their thinking I think, Messi, I think Messi knows he's one of the greatest players to ever play the sport yeah. he doesn't have to prove it to himself in different leagues whereas I think Ronaldo is always searching to prove to himself a little bit that he is one of the greatest and I think there is an element of as well with Ronaldo that he wants to prove that he's done this and Messi hasn't because the two of them have to motivate one another because I mean we've seen their numbers are staggering like I remember when I was when growing up so you're kind of talking like when Mourinho came to Chelsea and Rafa came to Liverpool around that time like 20 goal a season striker was that was your aim that was what you wanted to sign and all of a sudden you have 40, 50, 60 goals a season coming out of these two guys both playing on the wing at the time and it just blew what was considered to be the norm completely out of the water. So they were the only two that could drive each other. Like, I think I have it down here. Messi has six Ballon d'Ors against Ronaldo's five. Yeah. They, but before they started, no one had more than three. As Ronaldo said, he misses playing in the same league as Messi. He does, yeah. He said that, and 
I think when we in 10 years time when they've both retired it's going to be looked back on as like one of the best player against player rivalries of all time but I think I know, I'd always give Messi the edge that's all does athleticism have anything to do with it? you probably know what's coming next right Ronaldo has worked he's natural born athlete he's worked hard at it he's probably the most in shape footballer of all times he's worked so hard at keeping himself at that level he'll probably play for another five years and be at the top level for three or four of those right look at Messi Messi's smaller in stature we've spoken previously about how Messi was given a load of growth hormone growing up so that he could become a footballer because he was he was deficient in it like again does that come against Messi like when it comes down to natural skill Messi is probably better than Ronaldo but Ronaldo has probably made more of himself because of that yeah I think so like Ronaldo is a more your conventional athlete like he's you've seen some of the stats for his jumping is absurd like sprinting like you obviously see the shape he's in every time he rips off his shirt in celebration uh, whereas Messi is your kind of he's more your street footballer isn't he like just playing in tight little spaces weaving through gaps little one twos well, I think like you, Messi can drop back into midfield if he loses a yard of pace. You could play Messi holding midfield in that Barcelona team. You could play him as a number six, as a quarterback, and he'll just spray passes left, right and centre. I don't think Ronaldo has that. But at the same time, Ronaldo has superior physical attributes that he can play further into his career in what would be peak physical shape for most people. Let me ask another question. Messi grew up in a team of superstars. Mm. Ronaldo went to United when, you know, they didn't have the superstars. Is that why Ronaldo has spent so much time doing stuff on his own? Like Messi was able to play with other players, but the players were awesome around him, whereas Ronaldo never had the same level of player. Maybe at Real Madrid, but he hasn't had the same level of player his entire career around him that Messi did have. Oh, completely. I think growing up, like obviously I was saying just there, like Messi grew up playing alongside like Iniesta and... Fabregas and Javi and Ronaldo grew up in Sporting Lisbon's academy Is that not an argument then for Ronaldo being a better player than Messi? I think it's an argument for how Ronaldo is kind of leaning more towards individual an individualistic outlook whereas Messi we've seen is quite happy to stay at Barcelona like he's obviously Javi and Iniesta are gone now but So then do we, do we describe Ronaldo as playing devil's advocate Ronaldo as the best individual player of all time whereas Messi is the best team player of all time? Mm, no. <laughs> I would think not. It's a team sport. The best player has to also be a team player. But the ultimate goal is for the team to win. And yeah. Ronaldo's teams have won. As have Messi's. Not on the international stage. Ah, uh, yes. That's the next question, so let's go to international honours. This, this, okay. this goes back to, do you need to win titles to be the best player? Does it? Okay. So internationally, you know, there's going to be a bit of numbers here. Messi has 70 goals and 42 assists in 138 caps. Ronaldo has 99 goals, which is remarkable, and 28 assists in 107 or 164 caps. So Messi is averaging 0.81 goal contributions per game at international level. Ronaldo is 0.77. Did you just say it? Oh yeah, no, I like. I think the international trophy 
or the lack of one for Messi is going to be a hindrance looking back on his career. But there have also been moments, I mean, if Higuain could finish at the right moments, he'd probably have three international trophies, those two Copa America finals and the World Cup in 2014. Let me step back and ask you another question. So when Messi didn't have the players around him at Argentina, he wasn't able to produce the same level of He result. got them to a World Cup final in 2014. But they didn't win it. But again, like... Ronaldo, you could say, got Portugal to the final in Euro 2016 and he had absolutely nothing to do with them winning it. Yeah, he was off the field when they won it at the time. So Yeah, whereas Messi plays Higuain through one-on-one, nil-nil in the World Cup final. Not a whole pile more you can do. Like Higuain fluffs his lines. I think it's a never-ending argument. It will be. There will be people in, it the, will be. There'll be people in the Messi camp, there will be people in the Ronaldo camp. I think we're just lucky to have... Yeah, I think the three of us realise how lucky we are to... Oh, it's it's been a privilege to to watch them like growing up to have the two of them, especially those years when it was Ronaldo at Real Madrid and you'd Messi at Barcelona, and you had Pep and Mourinho on the opposite dugouts as well. Like it was, you always tuned into El Clasico always, and it was just I think it I think a pleasure a, to watch. For me, it's it's a Pacquiao Mayweather thing. I'd like to have seen Messi play in the Premier League when Ronaldo was at his height in the Premier League to see how it would have worked in a different league when have a lot of players trying to let's let's say strongly muscle the likes of Messi out of Thackens oh because Sergio Ramos would have never done that <laughs> well, Ramos <laughs> is just filth and Pepe at centre back like Messi was getting kicked left right and centre there I'm going to give one of my true comments but I hate Ramos as do I I just do not like him as a player anyway yeah, um, yeah Messi versus Ronaldo let's call it a draw no Um <laughs> uh, I don't think I'll ever accept that one as a draw. No. Right, well, we're going to have to move on. Um, your topic from history this week, Joseph, is called the Battle of Santiago. Yes, Battle of Santiago. Santiago, not Santiago. Um, uh, I have never heard of this. Well, you see, that's why it's a special so, topic. So let's do it. Tell from us. the annals of football history, as you describe it every week. Uh, that's why I said it. <laughs> Right, so to give some kind of background, uh, 1962 World Cup has been played in Chile. Um, so in 1960, there was a massive earthquake, the Valdivia earthquake, could be pronouncing that wrong. Turns out, I was only reading earlier, that it was the strongest earthquake ever recorded. So that was two years before the World Cup. So obviously there was disaster across Chile and pretty much a lot of the Pacific nations got mad tsunamis and everything. But they decided to play the World Cup in Chile anyway, and it went ahead. And um, at the start of the tournament, there was a couple of Italian journalists who had a couple of things to say about it. They were rather displeased with the facilities and everything. And uh, there was one quote in particular which tended to uh, irk the Chileans. And it was that the population of Chile are prone to malnutrition, illiteracy, alcoholism and poverty. Chile is a small, proud and poor country. It has agreed to organise the World Cup in the same way as Mussolini agreed to send our Air Force to bomb London. They didn't arrive. The capital has 700 hotel beds. Neighbourhoods are given over to prostitution. The people are proudly miserable and backwards. So that's what an Italian journalist wrote, having arrived in Chile. So was this before any football was played? This would have been, yeah, kind of around the, around the opening of the tournament when the journalists would have been arriving for the tournament. Italian. Yeah. His fancy meals just took a dislike to having to live in squalor. In yeah. Wait, I have, I 
I've heard. I wouldn't be a, a much of a wine connoisseur now. So anyway, the Chilean newspapers fired back, saying the Italians are fascists, mafiosos, oversexed, and drug addicts. Well. Yeah, so they weren't exactly making loads of friends. But the journalists, the Italian journalists that wrote some of those pieces were forced to flee Chile, just for fear of their lives. There was one Argentinian journalist was mistaken for Italian and beaten to a pulp. Sorry, just, just to ask about the Battle of San Diego, are we, are we actually talking about a soccer match now, or are we talking yep. about the arguments between the Chile? No, no, this is just a bit of background, oh, so we get to the actual game. I just asked, how did the lads in Chile get an Italian newspaper? I don't know. No, but it probably had to be posted back from Chile, so I'd imagine the, the post I'd imagine the Chilean post office probably picked up on it uh, and called the football hooligans that uh, could beat up a few journalists. And under, understood the Italian writing, Italian language. It would seem that way, yeah. Wow. Anyway, I'm sure they had. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? <laughs> Already arrived at a Chilean post office. Um. So yeah, basically, it looked like because Chile had to play Italy in the group game, and it looked like obviously this was going to be fairly heated. Uh, so the referee was an Englishman, Kenneth Aston was his name, and uh, incidentally, he went on to invent yellow and red cards. Yeah, so he didn't have any for this game, and I'd say he'd have run out if he did. So first foul was after twelve seconds. Right. Yeah, first sending off was after eight minutes. Um, it was a ridiculous tackle. I was watching it just knee high two-footed lunge just went in to hurt the man uh, refused to leave the pitch and he had to be escorted off by uh, how many policemen would you say were there Dylan you were watching the clip oh with me God, 12 to 15 <laughs> policemen had to escort him off the pitch Jesus. yeah so that was that was eight minutes in right. so obviously this is going well uh, there was a couple of nice punches and kicks were thrown after tackles one lad was left out cold uh, even though it's the, the sweetest the, left hook yeah, the sweetest <laughs> left hook he'd seen. So, um, yeah, that went unpunished. But your man that got knocked out about three minutes later goes in for a head-high kick on your man that hit him. And literally, he lunges. like his, Your man is just, the ball's coming at him, he's trying to head it, and this fella comes in flying from the side like a karate kick, kicks him into the side of the head. So he gets sent off. <laughs> I thought Dylan was overly generous to him yeah he he took a nice chunk of face though um, so after that he got sent off and then after that your man who got kicked in the face broke another fella's nose now he wasn't sent off I think the referee was getting lenient at this point just probably trying to survive this game should have been abandoned oh, the police had to intervene three more times before the end of the game four times there was police intervention in the football game uh, Chile went on to win 2-0 anyway both of the goals came in the last 20 minutes. The second one was a lovely strike, actually. Um, well, how many players were left on the field by the end of the game? Only two sent off. One for each side? No, both, both Italians. Sorry. Yeah, so that was Switch. remarkable. So on the, the BBC highlights, definitely. I think the referee was more concerned for his own safety at that point. Uh, the BBC highlights a couple of days later, um, because they had to be flown back, the highlights. Uh, so David Coleman was your man, the presenter. A quote from him when he's introducing it it was like this is the most stupid appalling disgusting and disgraceful exhibition of football possibly in the history of the game he said that if the World Cup was to continue in this format teams like this would have to be banned from the tournament Jesus. he was absolutely disgusted by it how did 
how did Chile do in the rest of that tour? Sorry, on a side note. Uh, they made it out of the group, and that was kind of the end of it, really. The final in the end was Brazil against Czechoslovakia. Did Italy make it out of the group? No. No, they did not. Did they, they, didn't. did they make it out of the country alive? Um, most of them did at least, anyway. I, I wouldn't be 100% certain on that. I'd say there was a couple of fights going on. It's on the YouTube, yeah, Dylan, it is. So if you go on the YouTube... We may, and we may share a link to that video on, uh, on the social media channels. We may. And it's, it was the BBC highlights I had, so you'll get, you'll get David Coleman's lovely quotes afterwards. He was rightly pissed off. Yeah, I'd highly recommend watching it now. It's just like uh, watching all junior beef available. <laughs> it was a little agricultural in style, all right? It's On that Italian team, I don't know, like, was there any superstars that we may or may not have heard of? No, I had a flick through the team. I thought it maybe would have popped up with Cesar Maldini, who was the only one I was looking for, really, or Jenny Rivera, but that would have been slightly before their time. Do you know what? It's, it's one of those things, times have changed, but I'd love to have been around to watch that at the time. Imagine being in the stadium watching that game. Yeah, I hear Chile was lovely back then. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was really interesting uh, to watch yeah. it, Joe. Uh, just you said there, the ref brought in the, the cards. Yeah, he just grabbed him. There was a one. There was one where there was a uh, two players both lunged in for a tackle and started kind of kicking each other. And the referee goes in on top of them to try and separate them. He's in the middle, like wrestling them apart. It's interesting, like you wouldn't see that nowadays. Like, God no! Imagine when poor Jonathan Moss get reported for you and grabbing players now. <laughs> He'd probably get suspended. Probably. That's an interesting. Well, yeah, there's a few more games like it. I think one of the obvious ones was the one in the 2006 World Cup. Um, I think that was the one that broke the record for yellows and red cards this one probably would have if he had them but um, there was something like 16 yellow cards and 4 reds Netherlands against Portugal if I remember correctly it's a bit like Tipperary and Terry last week Battle of Nuremberg I think that's on the YouTube as well for anyone if they want to go and watch that um, yeah we might we might share that video of the Battle of Santiago just uh, for people to watch it any of our listeners um, Good, interesting one. Cheers, uh, thanks for that, Anytime, anytime, guys. Dylan. Dylan's here to test our knowledge with our, our sporting quiz, Bamboozled. I'm trying to bamboozle me on now. Um, the internet's favourite quiz. <laughs> how are we fixed this week? How, what, are, ye, what's how, our, how are ye fixed? What's our, what's our topic of the week? You normally have an old theme running through this. Yeah, so um, given the week that's in it, uh, it's the start of the League of Ireland. So uh, I'm going to test your uh, League of Ireland knowledge. Oh no! Um, I believe James was doing a bit of research beforehand, so it's the last time I tell you the topic. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it should it should be interesting. Um, Just for anyone that is unaware, I am still undefeated here. Yeah, I haven't had the, the best of six weeks. What's your look? Seven. I'm still looking for my first victory. I've had a few draws. I've had a few draws. And you got some research on this one. I didn't do any research on this one. Oh, we were all there, James. Anyway, right. Go on. Three questions each. Youngest goes first. Show us the name. Well, is that still me? <laughs> Maybe yeah, next actually, time. James, it's your birthday the other day, so you're a bit older now. I am. I am indeed a bit older. Thanks for pointing that out. Fair play, Joey. Um, right, so let's let's uh, get this underway. Um, so, Joe, nice, nice, easy historic one to start us off. Brilliant. Uh, in what year was the League of Ireland formed? Oh, my days. Um, I really haven't got a clue. We'll go with a guess of 1928. Uh, it was a bit, bit after that, all right. Uh, I would say 60 sometime, but... Uh, 
Oh yeah. Ah, Jesus. What was it before that? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I assume there was nothing before that. This is, this is the foundation. They were all just playing Junior B. Playing ju- yeah, you see. They better footballers back then. Um, right, so that's a little point to Joe. Thanks. Uh, off to a good start. Um, James, uh, your first question. Right, hit me. So back in 1985, what team was the first ever to win the League of Ireland? I believe that both of my options are probably playing in the first round of the league this week. I'm going to go with Shamrock Rovers, but it could have been Boyd. 1-0 to James. Straight out of the traps. Right, so Joe, time to recover. Where do Sligo Rovers play their home games? What's the name of their grounds? Oh, fuck. I was going to say Sligo before you got to head to that. Um, oh. Sligo would have been correct. What's the name of the grounds? <laughs> mm. And there's no half-marks either. I am not sure. Um, we'll go with... Oh, I have no idea. Boundary Park. I'm going to push it for time. I kind of have to give you the uh, answer there. It's called the showgrounds. Oh, when did you half give me that? When I asked you what grounds. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the worst thing to watch. You're a frustrating person. <laughs> oh, I have a chance to win. This to, this to guarantee to win, James? Pressure question now, boy. <clears throat> you should get this one, James. Uh, where do Derry City play their home grounds? What's the name of the stadium? That would be the Brandy one. There you are. Well done. Well done, James. <laughs> can we can we insert we are the champions here? No. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, right, Joe. Uh, try and save yourself a bit of embarrassment. Uh, what League of Ireland club did Shane Long begin his career with? He definitely played for Cork City. I can't remember if he started there or not. Um, Is that your final answer? Uh, yeah, sure. Cork City. Why not? Cork City would be correct. Yeah. Save your blushes, Joe. It's the only League of Ireland club he played at. Went straight to Reading then. Mm. Uh, James, this is this is for a full house, mate. Uh, what League of Ireland club did Kevin Doyle start his League of uh, career with? Watford United. That would be incorrect. Oh, I would have said Patrick's Athletic. I would have said Waterford as well. I thought it was Waterford and, and did, didn't they? Waterford and then he, Cork. Yeah, he went to Cork and then oh. went. Same Pat's Athletic moved to Cork and then went on to Reading. Did he not play for Waterford? According to Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, well then. Well, Wikipedia is always right. <laughs> I'm not going to talk you out of it. Is he from Waterford, maybe? Hold on, James. He's a Wexford man, isn't he? I don't know. Yeah. Do well done. I'm, I'm delighted with my first victory. Mm, I'm not. <laughs> in week, in I week, quit. In week seven. <laughs> Can you get my own podcast? Oh, congrats, James. They were good questions. They were the worst questions ever. <laughs> and you wouldn't be a bitter man, John. No, it wouldn't be like me. Moving on to our last segment of the week. It is our take five. It is where you, the listener, get to pitch your wits against our panel of experts. Uh, experts being... Uh, very loose term for us mm. at the moment. 
Um, last week, do we have a winner from last week? Uh, I got one result and zero score lines. I think we were all in the same boat. You were at a disadvantage, you see. Man City and West Ham got cancelled. So I think I should get points for the draw there. No call at all to that. No. <laughs> <laughs> right, our take five for this week. First, first uh, game of the week is Limerick versus Walford in National Hurling League. Top of the table clash. Limerick have two victories uh, over Tipperary and oh, Cranfield. Only with Beck Galway. Waterford, of course, with a victory over Cork in week one and the facile victory over Westmead last week. What are we going for here, lads? Oh, sorry. Uh, I'm going for uh, Limerick 118, Waterford 15 points. You went for Limerick there in Dylan's book. Yeah, I've got a similar margin of victory for Limerick 219 to 117. I'm actually going to go for a Waterford victory. I'm going to go for 21 points for Waterford to 116 for Limerick. Um, our second game of the weekend is Chelsea versus Manchester United on Monday night in the Premier League. Um, both back off their uh, mid-season breaks. What are we thinking on that one? I've gone for a 3-3 draw. I think uh, both teams can attack, neither team can particularly defend. I think it's going to be a series of blunders. Going to go for at least two goalkeeping errors, causing the goals as well. Three-all draw. Uh, if this storm is to come, I'm going for uh, United to win 1-1. One, one. <laughs> Poor playing conditions. For some reason I had it in my head, but if this storm is to come, I'm going to go for a postponed match. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually going to go for a two-all draw as well. Um, just Chelsea at home is the only reason I'm, I'm going for the draw. I think United have a better chance of winning it, but let's go with that. Um, depleted sides for Munster against Southern Kings at home in Irish Independent Park. Uh, Southern Kings over for their their jaunt around around Ireland in the in the Pro 14. Um, have to go for a monster win even though they're they're down a few players. I will go seventeen to nothing for Monster. Joe. Jeez, keeping a clean sheet. Um yeah I've gone for a comfortable monster victory as well, but I've gone for a more high scoring game. 38-19. Yeah. Well I'm in the same boat as you James considering they didn't score anything in the last day they played so um, I'm gonna go Monster thirty seven. Uh Southern Kings not discrepancies in the score lines there um, we spoke about it in our last segment in Bamboozled Bohemians play Shamrock Rovers in the first game of the Airtricity League for both if we were talking about this in 10 games time we're probably talking about a top of the table clash uh, two of the top three so what are we thinking on that one well, I've gone 2-0 Bohemians I think good atmosphere there opening game home crowd will just get them over the line other than that, I'd say it's going to be a fairly tight encounter. I'm actually going for a 2-1 to Shamrock Rovers. Okay. I think Shamrock Rovers just like top of the table for a lot of last year. Seem to have consolidated what they have. I'd say they'll be hoping to actually win the league this year and not capitulate like they did last season. Dylan? Uh, I'm going to go with the opposite of yourself, James. I'm going 2-1 to Bohemians. Uh, they're at home, so that's why you see them getting our last game of our take five this week is a little bit closer to home. It's our Galway versus Tipperary in the National Hurling League. 
a must win for Tipperary after losing their first two games um, I think they'll have just enough to beat uh, Galway side that just didn't look good enough against Limerick last time out um, so I'm going to go for a 2.22 to 1.19 win for Tipperary Dylan what are we thinking? I've got a lot close right Galway weren't that poor against Limerick so I'm going to say Galway 1.17 tip 1.18 I have gone for a draw, one eighteen to twenty one points. Love a draw. <laughs> Again, we're, we got to we got to look at this from uh, a point of view of the storm. Storm Dini might have a lot to say about a lot of these games. So, um, yeah, uh, as always, we will be putting our own predictions up on our social media. If you would like to take part pick your results send them to us uh, on at sideline underscore cut on twitter and instagram at the sideline cut on facebook you can also email us on sport at the sideline cut.com with any queries discussion topics you'd like us to go through any funny stories you have about <laughs> like dylan's granny getting hit with a golf ball um that kind of thing and get in touch with us do you have any any do you have a funny sporting story to tell us Sports now wouldn't be for me to be honest. Not over. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Eddie will not be coming back next week. Yeah, Eddie, our transition year student has now been fired. Um, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Cheers, thanks very much. Good night and God bless. So. Boston Boston.